Hello, this is Patrick Ridgel, and welcome to our latest edition of Market Pulse with Transamerica Asset Management Chief Investment Officer, Tom Wall. Hello, Tom. Hello, Patrick. Tom, we're hitting the final stretch of summer, and it has been quite a couple of months we've had both in terms of the news hitting the markets and the market's reaction to all of it. Yes, it has. And, and to your point, Patrick, we've had a pretty big move off what looks to be at least an interim term low in both the stock and the credit market since mid-June. In fact, we have now made up more than half of the total price loss incurred by stocks during the first half of the year as measured by the S&P 500, which has now increased about 18% since where it was intraday on June 15th. And we've also seen longer-term interest rates fall and credit spreads narrow a good bit as well. So it's been a very good summer for the markets, albeit following a really rough winter and spring. So, so a couple questions on this. First one being, what do you think has been the catalyst behind this strong rebound? Well, I guess I would start with there was a lot of bad news priced into stocks as of a couple of months ago. And as we mentioned in our mid-year outlook paper, following 20-plus percent declines across most of the major indexes, stocks were probably setting up for a fair degree of upside simply based on the premise that all of that expected bad news was unlikely to come in as bad as most uh, might have been fearing. And, and that's pretty much what we have seen of late. And what would you say has been some of the major examples of this? Well, the first would be the macroeconomic environment. Mm -hmm. So while we actually hit the widely recognized measure of a recession, that being two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth, as seen in the second quarter GDP report, of negative 0.9% annualized economic contraction following the first quarter's 1.6% decline. This unwelcome data was immediately followed up by an extremely strong July employment report in which more than a half million new jobs were added to the economy, accompanied by a 3.5% unemployment rate. And that sort of took a traditionally very bad economic signal and turned it into more of a mixed signal as we saw recessionary growth data, but certainly not recessionary employment data. And against that backdrop, longer term interest rates also fell quite a bit, which probably also helped the markets, correct? Uh, yes. And even taking into account uh, the stronger than expected jobs number for July, the fear of a quote unquote official recession sometime in the next year or so remains fairly pervasive. And enough so that longer term interest rates have declined materially since June as the yield curve has inverted and the 10 year Treasury yield has fallen by about 75 basis points and well below the 3% range. Uh, from about 3.5% uh, back in mid-June. So mm -hmm. concerns of runaway long-term interest rates when the 10-year Treasury yield was at a higher level of a couple of months ago have now pretty much flipped. Uh, and, of course, lower long-term interest rates, all else being equal, uh, generally create a more friendly environment for the stock and credit markets. And there continues to be speculation that while the Federal Reserve will continue to go hard in combating inflation with a likely 50 or 75 basis point rate hike expected at next month's September meeting, that after that, uh, they could ease up a bit if the rate of inflation does solidify 
in a downward pattern. Mm-hmm. I would be a bit weary of this one, Patrick, as I believe the Fed will have to remain diligent in the fight against inflation. But there clearly is a segment of the market believing that they might actually cut rates in 2023, uh, the quote-unquote mm-hmm. Fed pivot, uh, mm-hmm. as it's being called. And while I don't necessarily concur with that viewpoint, it is a perspective that's out there right now. And the July inflation report also appears to have had some impact as well. Yes. And of course, everybody has been waiting for some sort of sign that the vicious pace of inflation we've been dealing with since the early months of last year might finally be peaking. Mm -hmm. And we saw at least the beginning of a case to be made for that with the July Consumer Price Index or CPI report, which although posting a year over year headline increase of 8.5% was still a decline uh, from June's 9.1% rate. And the monthly inflation rate actually came in flat, although the core X uh, food and energy inflation rate was still up 0.3% for the month and 5.9% year over year. So no question, those are still dauntingly high inflation numbers. But nonetheless, this inflation report, again, was not as bad as most were expecting and provided at least the foundation for the case inflation may have peaked, directionally speaking, that is. Mm-hmm. Then, Patrick, uh, there is the fact that corporate earnings, as defined by underlying company S&P 500 net operating income growth estimates for calendar year 2022 and calendar year 2023, have come down but still remain in positive growth territory, which is still well above the types of negative earnings growth profiles we have typically seen in past recessions. So the fact that current corporate earnings estimates have not yet gone into official negative growth forecasts is also, in and of itself, better than where most had previously expected them to be at this point in time. And then you also throw in that we are now more than halfway through this current third quarter, and most tracking estimates for GDP so far are in positive growth territory, which, if that holds up, would uh, be an important shift in the macro momentum. So, Patrick, in adding this all up, while, yes, there is still likely to be a lot of uncertainty and probably some pretty tough news still yet to come across the tape in the months ahead, but in comparison to expectations of just a couple of months ago, in aggregate, the news and data of these past several weeks has not been as bad as most had feared back when the summer began. And after both 20 plus percent declines in stocks and about 200 basis points of widening in high yield credit spreads between January and June, any series of news that is, again, not as bad as expected can create a pretty favorable reaction in the markets. And that's what we've seen. Hmm. Thank you, Tom. That was that was quite a summation of the summer. <laughs> now I want to I want to turn to my second question regarding this recent market activity, which is back on June sixteenth, the S and P fell to an intraday low of just about thirty six hundred, and it was at that point the markets began the big upward move we've been talking about. So, can we confidently say that low point was in fact the market bottom of this bear market cycle? Well, Patrick, the funny thing about calling market bottoms is that they are a whole lot easier to identify after they have happened as opposed to when they are happening, which is why I've always tried to focus on the former rather than the latter. So I would would say 
there is a very good probability that this past June low will likely prove to be the bottom of this recent bear market. The reason I say this is looking back at that time, uh, which, of course, was only two months ago. So I don't want to make it sound like we are looking at any sort of conclusive uh, history here. But that said, back then, the fear and pessimism gauges were running a lot hotter than they are right now. Inflation, recession, corporate earnings, short and long-term interest rates were all then reflecting a future level of negativity that now looks comparatively less likely. How so? Well, first, I think there's more of an expectation now that core rates of inflation stand a decent chance of coming down in to the sub 4% range uh, by year end. Uh, and, and as I said, that's being at least somewhat supported by the recent July CPI report, though realistically speaking, there's still a long way to go on the inflation fighting front, but but still incrementally net favorable at this time, I'd say. Mm -hmm. uh, second, I think there's also less concern the Fed is completely behind the curve on inflation now. Uh, they still have an upward climb, but there seems to be a growing perception of their ability to uh, potentially engineer a soft landing or perhaps I should say a less rocky landing, one might say, as in getting inflation back on a path toward their long-term objective of 2% and preventing a prolonged and severe recession is now being considered to be more of a real probability. And okay. there seems uh, now uh, to also be sort of an emerging consensus that if we uh, do go into recession or in regard to the recession we, we could be in right now, it is more likely to be a mild to moderate one rather than a severe and prolonged one, uh, something we also ascribe to in our mid-year outlook paper. And therefore, the perception of downside macroeconomic risk seems to have mitigated a bit. So all, all total, Patrick, this is a different landscape than when the summer began. And as developments actually start to play out in the ballpark, of these newer expectations, the more likely it is we do not revisit the June lows, not only in stocks, but in the credit markets too. Remember, high-yield credit spreads uh, to comparable maturity treasuries uh, reached close to 6% the first week in July, and now we're in the low 4% uh, range. So we don't want to forget about that either. So, so we have a market environment more optimistic today than we were a couple months ago? I would probably phrase it as less pessimistic. There is okay. still a lot of uncertainty in this market as I see it. But at the margin, I think the storm, the recession thunder, the inflation lightning, mm -hmm. uh, and the Federal Reserve rain and hail, that aggregate storm, so to speak, I could be letting up some. And that is precisely the type of time when the markets begin to discount better weather, uh, even as the storm itself drags on. And that's what we are seeing right now. But bear in mind, since the middle of June, we have come very far, very fast, even if it has been off of bear market lows, uh, pardon the dual term. So still not necessarily clear sailing the rest of the year then? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, in fact, I think investors should probably brace uh, for more volatility. There is still much, very much uh, to be determined on the inflation interest rate economic and earnings growth fronts in the months ahead. Uh, and recoveries from bear markets and tough economic conditions like this inflationary, slower growth environment we're trying to slog through right now are rarely linear in nature. 
Uh, they're typically fraught with lots of fits and starts, both in terms of the markets and the data driving them. So while this strong rebound uh, certainly has been welcomed, it very well could wind up adding to short-term volatility in the upcoming months ahead. So, Tom, what should investors expect for the rest of the year? What should they be looking out for? So while stocks clearly uh, have a lot of short-term momentum right now, I think they will likely be somewhat range-bound between now and year-end, barring some sort of major surprise along the macroeconomic or geopolitical front. When I say range-bound, perhaps about 5% in either direction from where they are right now at any given point between now and year-end. I think what's also interesting is that the market's number one concern has sort of shifted over the past few months from inflation to fear of a severe and prolonged recession, as in one along the lines of uh, 1980 through 82 or 2007 through 2009, which lasted more than a year and saw peak to trough GDP declines of about 2.5% and 5% respectively, rather uh, than the recessions of 1990-91 and 2000-2001, which only lasted about eight months and saw peak to trough GDP declines of about 1%. From my perspective, I see a prolonged and severe recession, like the first two I just mentioned, as less likely uh, in probability. And as data potentially supports that in the months ahead, I think an upward bias is likely. However, until some of these worst case scenarios can be close to ruled out, stocks could be capped at about 5% higher than current levels. And if data is murky on this, uh, we could fall back. But again, probably not much more than also about 5% lower than where they stand right now. That's not to say week to week or even day to day stock price variability uh, won't be high, which it, it easily could be. Okay. And then we still have inflation, which, despite all the talk about recession, is still the bigger deal, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that if core inflation, core CPI and the Fed's preferred measure, core personal consumption expenditures or core PCE, can finish out the year tracking in the range of about 4% or so and on a path to move lower from there as these uh, Fed rate hikes slow demand in the labor market starts to show some slack and supply chain bottlenecks ease somewhat, uh, that could further support higher stock prices to some degree. But until we see real confirmation of that that type of lower inflation, uh, while we could see stocks move higher, they probably won't move a lot higher. So I would view sustained sub-4% core inflation as a potential catalyst for stocks in calendar year 2023, but probably not before that. And Patrick, all of this ties directly into corporate earnings, which, as I have said many times before, when all is said and done, is the highest single correlating determinant to stock prices. I think we are likely to see a reduction in uh, the calendar year 2023 S&P 500 net operating earnings estimates, perhaps close to flat growth as compared to calendar year 2022. But the silver lining in that is as we slog through the worst of this inflationary and slower growth environment, uh, we could begin to see the markets discount uh, a meaningful corporate earnings recovery in 2024 during 2023. So we lose some steam on earnings growth, but without a severe recession, we pick it back up in about six months to a year, which the markets will 
likely recognize earlier than that. And that's your longer term opportunity for stocks that I think investors should be focused on. So you're still bullish longer term, as in once we get past this storm, so to speak. Yeah, yes, yes, very much so. Okay. I think we may have seen the worst of the storm, but but it's still ongoing. However, mm -hmm. I think a year from now, there's a good chance inflation will be at that sub 4% core range. We will have avoided a prolonged and severe recession, and corporate earnings uh, could be setting up well for calendar year 2024, all of which should ultimately prove beneficial for stocks. And if inflation spikes again, maybe higher than the June 9% report, or economic growth falls off a real cliff closer to a severe recession measure, then what? Uh, well, if either or both of those occur in the form of a real directional trend, outside of perhaps one or two isolated reports, Yes, then we could see the market head in the direction of that June low. But right now, I would attribute a, a relatively low probability of that, perhaps 20% or so. Roughly a one in five probability, so so not outside the realm. No, not, not at all. Hence, supporting the, the, the trading range I just mentioned, okay. which I think will likely remain until those risks you just mentioned are further confirmed by data to be of lower probabilities than they are believed to be right now. So quick math here, Tom, puts that range on the S&P 500 at about what? Uh, about 4,000 to 4,500 by year end. Okay. Given everything that has happened recently uh, and is continuing to happen, I think that's a realistic range. Now, Tom, before we leave, I want to touch quickly on precisely where you see interest rates between now and the end of the year. Uh, yes, I think the market is giving the Fed a little too much credit, pardon the pun, on how they will navigate the economic environment between now and year end. The futures market is currently pricing in a Fed funds rate of between three and a quarter and three and a half percent at year end, which I think will not be enough to sufficiently combat inflation into next year. I think the Fed, I think if the Fed really wants to put a dent in inflation, they will have to hike by at least 50 basis points at each of the upcoming three meetings remaining this year, uh, thereby taking the Fed funds rate to a lower bound of 3.75%. Uh, I also think uh, as a severe recession becomes less likely in the months ahead, the yield curve uh, will probably flatten the 10-year Treasury will move closer to that level as well. Okay, anything else to watch closely between now and year end? Uh, yes, a, a couple of wild cards, as, as there always is. Uh, mm -hmm. Sadly, the war in Ukraine continues to rage on. Uh, but if by chance we get any sort of a peaceful resolution, uh, that would likely be very good for the markets. And of course, we are in a highly charged political environment right now as well. And with the November uh, midterm congressional elections coming up, I think the markets could react well if Republicans retake either or both of the House and Senate based on the premise that would probably squelch any further tax hikes for at least a couple of years. And all else being equal, uh, markets have historically performed well uh, during times of divided party leadership in Washington. That viewpoint, of course, being a market observation and not a political thing. Okay. So there you have it. Tom, thanks very much for once again covering a lot of what investors want and need to hear in this fast-paced market environment. Appreciate you being with us today. Thank you, Patrick. Investments are subject to market risk, including the loss of principal. Asset classes or investment strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.
Past performance does not guarantee future results. Indexes are unmanaged and an investor cannot invest directly in an index. Equities are subject to market risk, meaning that stock prices in general may decline over short or extended periods of time. Fixed income investing is subject to credit rate risk, interest rate risk, and inflation risk. Credit risk is the risk that the issuer of a bond won't meet their payments. Inflation risk is the risk that inflation could outpace a bond's interest income. Interest rate risk is the risk that fluctuations in interest rates will affect the price of a bond. Investing in floating rate loans may be subject to greater volatility and increased risks. Growth stocks typically are particularly sensitive to market movements and may involve larger price swings because their market prices tend to reflect future expectations. Growth stocks as a group may be out of favor and underperform the overall equity market for a long period of time, for example, while the market favors value stocks. Value investing carries the risk that the market will not recognize the security's intrinsic value for a long time or that an undervalued stock is actually appropriately priced. Investments in global slash international markets involve risks not associated with U.S. markets, such as currency fluctuations, adverse social and political developments, and the relatively small size and lesser liquidity of some markets. These risks may be greater in emerging markets. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused substantial market disruption and dislocation around the world, including the U.S. Economies and financial markets throughout the world are increasingly interconnected. Economic, financial, or political events, trading and tariff arrangements, terrorism, technology and data interruptions, natural disasters, and other circumstances in one or more countries or regions could be highly disruptive to and have profound impacts on global economies or markets. The information included in this podcast should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation for the purchase or sale of any security. This material contains general information only on investment matters. It should not be considered as a comprehensive statement on any matter and should not be relied upon as such. The information does not take into account any investor's investment objectives, particular needs, or financial situation. The value of any investment may fluctuate. This information has been developed by Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated and may incorporate third-party data, text, images, and other content to be deemed reliable. Comments and general market-related projections are based on information available at the time of writing and believed to be accurate are for informational purposes only, are not intended as individual or specific advice, may not represent the opinions of the entire firm, and may not be relied upon for future investing. Investors are advised to consult with their investment professional about their specific financial needs and goals before making any investment decisions. Two, three, eight, two, two, seven, seven.